Lord, we are thankful to you for men and women of God that you sent to faraway places at great sacrifice and cost to do your work and you bless them and you use the lives as examples for all of us. And now as we get into the word, we want to pray for Wayne and Miriam that they will deliver it uh, with the anointing of God and that we might learn from the word of God and that you will bless our lives. So we give you thanks. We pray for them and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, let me introduce the, the topic, okay? We are starting a new series of sermons on people that Jesus commended. So Wayne and Miriam is going to lead off with the first sermon on that. So if you look through your Bible, read through uh, the Gospels especially, and figure out who are the people that, that, that Jesus says good, uh, well done. And then this is what we're going to be covering uh, in the weeks to come. Okay, thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for your warm welcome. This is our fourth year in Singapore and in PPH, and we feel very much at home here. We enjoy that not only the teaching, but the fellowship we receive and the interaction with you all. We're very much involved in our cell group, and that really is a pleasure. So, just a very quick, brief background. You can see where Chad is, right in the heart of Africa, just below Libya. It's a country much bigger than Singapore. Traveling from east to west or west to east can take three days. Uh, When we lived there, there were no tarmac roads, just four tarmac roads in the capital. The rest were just uh, sand dunes and desert and scrubland. These were our children. We took our young family with us. It was one of the poorest countries in the world. We ate on the floor, mats. We spoke French and Arabic. The kids' first language was French. And we always sat around a communal bowl with rice and meat sauce. And we ate outside most of the time. This is the children preparing their tea, their chai, on charcoal. This is them today. They're grown up. On your left is our eldest son, Joshua. He's married to Louise. He's a software engineer. And then our middle son, he graduated in, with a degree in theology at Edinburgh University in philosophy. He then worked. Now he's gone back to do a master's at Soas University in London. And then our daughter is currently in Scotland at university. So that's our children, all grown up. We are empty nesters, and that's why we were able to come to Singapore. So let's look at the context of our reading today. Can I ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12? Context actually begins in chapter 11, where Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and he walks in the temple courts. Now look at chapter 12, verse 1. I want us to look at the different peoples, different people groups that Jesus talks to. In verse 1, the parable of the tenants, can you see who he's speaking to? He's speaking to the chief priests and the teachers and elders. Now look at verse 13, paying taxes to Caesar. Who is he speaking to? Yes, that's the Pharisees and the Herodians. 
Verse 18, marriage at the resurrection, who's he speaking to? The Sadducees, yes. Verse 28, the greatest commandment. He's, t- he's speaking to a genuine seeker. Verse 35, whose son is the Messiah? Whose son is the Christ? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the crowd. Verse 38, warning against the teachers of the law. He's speaking to the crowd. And then we come to verse 41. Who's Jesus speaking to here? Well, he's speaking to his disciples. So Jesus addresses these different groups of people, and he puts their finger right on the issue he wants to talk to them about. So let's pick up our story in verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So we're going to cover this morning, looking at this passage under two themes, what Jesus saw and then what Jesus taught. So I'm going to speak about what Jesus saw And then Wayne will come back up and look at what Jesus taught his disciples. So the theme of this whole passage is really about discipleship. That's why Jesus pulled his disciples to him to teach them. It was different from what he was teaching the crowds and the Pharisees. This is teaching for the disciples. And so that's why it's so important for us to look at what did Jesus see and what did Jesus teach. The first thing is that Jesus saw this woman, this widow. I imagine that she probably felt invisible. And in fact, maybe she even liked it that way. She didn't want to draw attention to herself and her small gift that she was giving. It was all that she had. Can you imagine her coming I mean, the, the passage beforehand talks about these, these uh, teachers of the law and the Pharisees coming in their beautiful clothes, their fine robes, and she probably was wearing rags. It talks about, those previous verses talk about them coming to a banquet. I don't imagine that she was even invited to the banquet. And sometimes there are times when we like to be invisible as well. 
Wayne talked about the drive that we used to do. Uh, we lived in the capital city of Chad, which was on the, on the west of the country. And then most of our team worked over on the border with Sudan in the region, uh, the Darfur region. I'm sure you're all aware of that whole area where there was so much war and conflict. So we would often have to drive three days across country in a, in a nice Toyota pickup truck. Um, and there was nowhere, nowhere to stop, nowhere to stay. No nice rest stops, no nice bed and breakfast to stay at. You had to make it to the next safe stopping point before it got dark. And then you just spread your mat on the sand, looking up at the stars, spend the night there, and then at first light the next morning, set off for the next leg of the journey. Well, on one occasion when we were making this journey, we got up early in the morning, and uh, I said to Wayne, you know, I really don't feel very well. And he was, you know, the good husband that he is, he was genuinely sympathetic and said, well, I'm very sorry, but that's just too bad. <laughs> uh, we, can't, we can't wait until you feel better. We, you know, we need to go. Because if we don't set off now, we're not going to make it to the, to the good stopping point before it gets dark. So we got into the Toyota truck and we set off land pretty much like this and a couple of hours into the journey I was suddenly violently sick didn't have time to say to Wayne stop the car didn't have time to wind the window down just vomit everywhere so Wayne stopped the car and because this was a three-day journey, we had to take with us everything that we would need. So we had big um, containers of water in the back of the car because you do not want to break down in the desert without water. So he very kindly got a big jug of water, looked some clean clothes out of my bag for me and said, right, you better clean yourself up while I clean the inside of the vehicle. And it was quite literally like this. Not, not a house, not a soul in sight. So, you know, you can understand, given the circumstances, I went off to that fairly lonely tree there, stripped off my clothes and started washing. Well, literally, within five minutes, Wayne from behind me said, <clears throat> you, you might want to get a move on uh, because we have company. And there, standing off to one side, were a group of about 10 boys watching this crazy white woman and thinking, wow, these people really are strange. There are moments when we all want to be invisible, and that was definitely one of them. So Jesus sat down and began people watching. Have you ever indulged in that, in that hobby I love it, actually. One of the things I love most about our, our life and traveling is that I love airports. I love, yeah, thankfully there aren't too many where the planes are taking off like that. But I love watching people coming and going. I love watching their interactions with each other. You know, there's nothing like standing there and watching a reunion between 
father and child or yeah, just seeing the joy on people's faces as they're reunited. Sometimes it's fun to guess where people are going or what's waiting for them at the other end of their journey. And I think Jesus liked to watch people too. I love reading through the Gospels and seeing how Jesus interacts with people. So he sat down. He was a keen observer of behavior. And he had been watching the people, the crowd, as they had come and gone that day. But now he sits down in this place where people were bringing their offerings. And they were putting their offerings into these trumpet-shaped treasury chests. Um, There are different, when you look at commentaries, some people say that they were made of brass, others that they were made from horn and then covered. But whatever they were made from, it made a loud noise when people put their money in. And of course, the bigger the coin, the bigger the noise. So he sat down where these 13 chests were, and each one was labeled for the appropriate offering that was being given, whether it was a thanks offering or if it was uh, a first fruit offering. So each one had a different uh, purpose. And this whole area was called the treasury. And it was a vast space that could hold about 15,000 people. And he sat and he watched. Some of the translations say that Jesus... He watched how they cast their money into the treasury. It's certainly the idea that Jesus was watching very carefully. He was studying them. And Jesus sees this woman, this nameless woman. We don't know her name. Scripture doesn't tell us that. And as far as we know, Jesus didn't say anything to her at all. Most likely, she didn't even know that Jesus had noticed her. But he did. He saw her. He really saw her. And when I was reading this passage, it made me think about the story of Hagar. You remember when Hagar runs away? And she's in the desert again, the desert. And then God speaks to her. And she gives this name to God. She says, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. I think those are some of the most beautiful words in scripture, spoken by a woman who felt invisible, who felt rejected, who felt unwanted. And he is still the God who sees. He sees us. He sees our situation. He sees our struggles, our pain, our sorrow. He sees us. We aren't invisible or insignificant. We were created by him, created for him, created to be in relationship with him. And we can say, like Hagar, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. What about us? Do we really take time to see people? When you go down 
for coffee and tea at the end of the service? Do you look around to see who's standing on their own? To see who is looking as if they're carrying a burden? Or do you gravitate towards the same group of people that you talk to every week? God wants us to be people watchers in that sense of being able to see people in the way that he did. The second thing is that Jesus saw her gift. So he saw her, but he also saw her gift. He saw what she put in the chest. Now, from a distance, two small coins, Jesus wouldn't have been able to see them. They were so small. And yet he knew. He knew what she was putting in. And he knew the significance of that gift that she was giving. They were probably worth about an eighth of one cent. So really, really small amount of money. But it was all that she had. She was literally poverty stricken. It wasn't when it says that she was a poor widow. It it really literally means that she was on the verge of bankruptcy. She had nothing. She was in danger of imminent starvation. She was giving sacrificially. Sacrifice is a word that we don't use very much these days. I wonder if you've heard the story about the the chicken and the pig who were discussing together um, how proud they were of the breakfast that they provided for the farmer. Lovely bacon and egg. And the chicken was proudly talking about her beautiful eggs gracing the breakfast table, how fresh they were and how good they would be to taste. And the pig smiled sadly and said, yes, my dear friend, but what you do is make an offering. What I do is sacrifice. (laughs) You see, there is a difference. What would it mean for us to give sacrificially? And Wayne's going to come and uh, talk about that later. The third thing is that Jesus saw her heart. He saw her, he saw her gift, and he also saw her heart. Again, remember that Jesus was observing people as they brought their offerings. He was watching how they gave. Jesus saw the attitude of their hearts. He was observing the spirit in which they gave. As you saw from those photographs, when we first arrived in Chad, our children were quite young. In fact, Lucy was only two when we went. And uh, they would go off to school uh, in the morning, and then they would have school from 7 until 12. And then they would come home and have a three-hour siesta, and then they would go back to school in the late afternoon. And there were obvious reasons for that. The, The temperature... You think Singapore is hot. Wow, I tell you. Uh, Typical temperature during hot season for us would be 50 degrees. Um, We had had very little electricity, so maybe every third day we would have electricity. And when we didn't have electricity, we didn't have any running water either. Um, But the difference is that, uh, Chad, the humidity is about 2% during the dry season, the hot season. 
So um, you don't you don't perspire because it just dries as soon as it yeah it's so dry. Your hands and your feet and your face ache from the intensity of the sun. Anyway, so the children would go go off to school in the morning, and then Wayne would go and collect them, bring them home at lunchtime. And they would often, often their first question when they came in the door from school in the middle of the day would be, what's for lunch? Typical children. And uh, Wayne and I would often look at each other and say, it's the L word. Can you guess what the L word is? Anybody? Leftovers. See, when you live in a country where food is scarce, you don't waste anything. But their faces would fall because we don't really enjoy leftovers, do we? Especially not when it's the third day in a row and you're still trying to eat the pumpkin casserole from three days beforehand. It wasn't exactly their favorite being served leftovers. And we don't like to feel that we get the leftovers either, do we? Leftover time with our spouse rather than quality time. Leftover time with a friend between appointments rather than time to really sit and talk together. These rich people in the temple were giving their leftovers. The religious people, the the priests... The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were giving God their leftovers. It just doesn't seem right, does it? Jesus doesn't want our leftovers. How many of you have heard of of George Verwer, the founder of OM, Operation Mobilization? Well, there's a story that's told about George when he was, he was preaching to a packed church uh, one Sunday in a church in the USA. And he, this, he was talking on this very theme, giving to God from our heart, having a spirit of giving, being willing to give to God the resources that he has given to us. And George is a very passionate speaker, if you've heard him, um, but he can also be uh, somewhat long-winded, you know that, that expression, you know, he goes on and on a little bit. So uh, suddenly he caught sight of someone at the back of the church who was holding up their wrist and pointing to their watch. You know what that means when somebody stands at the back and does this? But George threw his hands in the air and said, praise the Lord. There's a man at the back of the church who is willing to give his watch to the Lord. (laughs) Jesus saw this woman. He saw her gift. He saw her heart. And he knew that she was giving sacrificially. He knew that she was giving with a heart of love and trust and faith. I'm just going to carry on building on what Miriam shared. Nothing new. 
But two themes struck me as I read this passage, as I studied and reflected this past week. And the first one is to give sacrificially and generously. And the second is to give by faith. Look at the story again. How much did the widow give? Two cents. Two coins. It it was her all. She gave everything. And this is sacrifice. It is generosity. She gave until it hurt. And some, like me, give when it doesn't hurt. It's easy to do that. But she gave her everything. And Jesus commends her for this. She gave all that she had to live on. All that she owned. How was she going to survive? What was she going to eat? What was she going to do when she left the temple that day? My guess is she didn't know. But she trusted in God. She trusted he would provide for her. And she put her faith in him. And in this passage, Jesus is teaching, it's not about the amount we give, but it's about how much heart we give. It's to do with our attitude in giving. So whoever you are, whatever you have, you know, little, remember, is much in God's hands. For many of us, you know, we live with that expression, tomorrow I will, tomorrow I'll give, tomorrow I'll get involved in my cell group, tomorrow when I go part-time, I'll give more time to the church, I'll give more time to the grandchildren. When I retire, I will offer to lead a cell group. But the reality is that when tomorrow, you know, tomorrow never comes, does it? Let's face it. But we never, we never, if we're not doing it now, we're unlikely to do it in the future. And what Jesus is doing, he's addressing the situation now in our poverty, in our weakness. And he asks us to give sacrificially. He asks us to give our time. And he says, you give me your lunch, I'll multiply it. You give me your pennies, I'll multiply it. You give me your time, your minutes, and I will do something wonderful with those. It's this present moment, not tomorrow, he's speaking to. So we see this woman, she gave from the heart. She gave with love. I often wonder what was going through her mind as she saw others giving all their, out of their riches, lots of pennies, lots of gold. Very simply, what moved her to give was her love for God. We give not because we have to, but be out of our love for Him. And it comes down, you know, to the amount of sacrifice involved in the gift. That's generosity. Generosity is not measured by the size of the gift. It's the motive and the sacrifice behind it. And our giving, as we know, mustn't be done grudgingly. We mustn't give out a reluctance. You know, some of us, we give to the church and then we tell everyone else, oh, I'm going to have to wait to get my new smartphone. I'm going to have to wait to get my new kitchen because I gave so much to the church. We mustn't give like this. Remember, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me say it again. The value of a gift is not determined by its amount, but by the sacrifice and the spirit in which it's given. Does anyone know who this is? 
John Wesley. Well, you know, John Wesley, he was born in 1703. He was one of the greatest evangelists in the 18th century. In 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he could have more money to give to the poor. So in his first year, his income was 30 UK pounds. It's about 60 Singapore dollars. But he found he could actually live on 28, so he gave two pounds away. Well, in his second year, his income doubled, but he kept his expenses the same. So that meant he had how much to give away? Can you do the math? $32, for 32 pounds. So he gave 32 pounds away. In his third year, his income increased to 90 pounds, but he held his expenses. Yes, so he gave away 62 pounds. Well, in his long life, because he lived quite a long time, his income advanced as high as 1,400 pounds, and he still held his expenses. Tried not to go over the 30 pound mark. Well, you know, he, the HM inspectors, Her Majesty's uh, tax inspectors, thought he must be doing something, fiddling the books. And so they launched an investigation in 1776 against him. And he wrote to them and he said this I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the silver I have. And I will not buy any more while people go hungry around me. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the money, the coins he had in his pocket, and some of the small coins he had in his dresser. Most of his 30,000 pounds he had earned, he'd given away for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. This is sacrifice. It's also generosity. Secondly, we're to give by faith. No one noticed the poor widow. Jesus saw her. And he simply called his disciples over to her. You see, Jesus sees what we do. Miriam said this. Nothing is hidden. I don't say that to frighten you. But to let you know, even when you do good works and good deeds, no one else noticed them. God sees. Jesus sees. He's watching, even if no one else is watching. Last weekend, we invited uh, a young couple in Singapore to, to visit us and have dinner with us. And he was sharing how he really wanted to serve the church. He wanted to go into full-time ministry. And Dan said, he said to his elder, how can I get involved in the church? How can I give my time? How can I serve the church? And the elder said, look around for opportunities. Go into the church, welcome people, offer to do things for people. Anyway, some weeks went by and Dan hadn't done a lot. And then the elder came during, just before the service and said, Dan, remember you said you wanted to serve the church? And Dan said, yes, absolutely, I'll do anything for the church. And he said, well, the pastor's toilet's just blocked up. <laughs> he said, would you go and see if you can free it during the service? 
Dan said, yes, absolutely, no problem. So Dan, he went and he tried to free this blocked toilet. In fact, he was there for 40 minutes trying to clear it up. And he got so discouraged, he got so smelly, so messy, that he went home. He couldn't unblock it. And he felt, oh, so, so, so bad. And then he realized what the Lord was teaching him. That's sacrifice. That, that is, you know, doing things that no one else sees. The good we do is not in vain. The time we spend in prayer alone is not in vain. The time we spend witnessing to others is not in vain. The time we invest in other people, strangers, giving to the poor is not in vain. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, in our seven, eight years in Chad, we came home very discouraged. It was one of the poorest countries in the world. It was one of the difficult, most difficult assignments we had faced. In our first six months, we had seven, eight robberies. Things seemed to go wrong year after year after year, and we came away thinking, what was the purpose? We didn't see any fruit for our labors, didn't see any people coming to Christ. And we struggled and thought, what was the, what was the purpose? And then someone said, we were reminded us, we were asking the very wrong question. We kept saying, is it worth it? Was it worth it? And we reminded of the question. The question you should be asking is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? And the answer to that question is always yes. We didn't see fruit. We felt discouraged and we felt weary. You know, we live in a results-based society. My job, I'm a data analyst. That's what I do for work. I take data. I analyze it. I draw conclusions and results from it. But, you know, service to the Lord is very difficult to measure. And sometimes we do grow weary and we get tired when we don't see results. Paul, writing to the Galatians, said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, as missionaries, we've been touched over the years. We've been serving over 20 years as missionaries, living by faith. We don't have an income, a salary as such. But people just give. Our income is up and down every month. And we have been so blessed coming to Singapore. I didn't think we would manage to live here. But by God's goodness, you know, people here in the church, when we moved to our new apartment, our third apartment uh, last summer, ladies from the church here came and cleaned it in our absence. And that meant so much to us. They served us. God provided for us. Notice, again, whom Jesus told about what he saw. No one, except his disciples. He didn't mention it to the widow. No, don't you think it might have encouraged her if Jesus had gone to the widow and said, bless you, thank you. He knew she was lonely. He knew she would have been struggling. Yet Jesus doesn't say anything to her. Often, you know, at times, we want people to thank us for the good we do, don't we? makes us feel good about ourselves. 
We want others to see what we're doing. But she gave by faith. Only Jesus saw. She wasn't looking for a reward. She wasn't looking for a pat on the back saying, well done. She just wanted a reward from God. And if Jesus had said something to her, perhaps she would have been greatly encouraged. But perhaps Jesus saw something in that said that maybe pride would start to settle in. Pride often changes our motives, if we're honest. When we know someone's watching, we do things differently, don't we? Yes? I know I do. The longing to be approved, the longing to be affirmed, the longing to be encouraged, the longing to be noticed changes our motives. But when we do things purely for God and for the right reasons, we are rewarded in heaven. And if anyone gives up a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, I will certainly not lose. He will not certainly lose his reward. Well, the widow in the story, she had nothing left to buy food. She displayed ultimate faith. I think that's rare today. You don't see very many people giving their all, everything they own to God. Because most of us give out of our excess, out of our riches, out of our surplus. In other words, she gave her savings plan. She gave her fund for a rainy day away. She gave away her retirement plan. Everything. Before coming to Singapore, I had always driven a car, always owned a car. And... You know, and even in Chad, we would go, this is the land cruiser, we would go across the desert in. And I loved to drive because it gave me freedom, adventures. And yes, yeah, you can see I got stuck here. And often I would roll it into ditches. Myrn will tell you how many times I put her head through the windscreen. A couple of times breaking suddenly in sand dunes. But I love that kind of adventure. That's who I am. And I like to be, let's say, dare I say, in control. So when I knew I was coming to Singapore, I was thinking, how am I going to survive without a car? I certainly can't afford a car here. And it kept me awake for weeks and weeks thinking, how am I going to survive? Well, you know, when we got here, I realized, well, you do have a very good MRT and public transport system, the bus. And it works because I'm using it today. But do I miss driving? Yes. Why? Really, because, you know... I used to sing in the car when no one could hear me. I would pray aloud. I could be my own boss. I could take shortcuts. I could leave when I wanted. In Chad, you traveled like this if you didn't have your own car. Now, these are, you see, the center of gravity is quite high. And the roads are just sand, but often on the roads, just, the um, camber of the road is rounded. So if two vehicles are trying to pass one another, can you imagine what happens? One of them has to give way. And whoever gives way, normally the vehicle will topple, resulting in injuries and sometimes deaths. And some of our friends and colleagues travel like this today. In other words, you're not in control. It's very difficult to put yourself out of the driver's seat. But sometimes God asks us to move out of the driver's seat because he wants to be in control of our lives. 
He wants to take us places where we haven't been. He wants us to step out of our comfort zones. So what is God saying this morning? I think he wants us to examine afresh our attitude to giving, not just in terms of the amount of money we give, but in the time we give to him in service. The time we give to friends and colleagues and to the church. He wants not always to play it safe, but sometimes to move out of our comfort zone. He wants us to continue to give by faith. And he knows the secret, the good things we do in secret, doesn't he? He's watching. And he's telling us to persevere. Listen, last week we learned a very very valuable lesson that spiritual life is not about being successful, but it's about being faithful. It's often in the small, unnoticed things that God works. It's about the small touches. It's about the words of encouragement. It's about the little acts of sacrifice and service. It's about giving our all for the advancement of his kingdom. And it doesn't matter who you are. This poor widow, didn't, Jesus didn't excuse her from giving. He allowed her to give along with the rich people. It doesn't matter who we are. Christ expects us to give from the heart. So Miriam reminds us that he is the God who sees He is the God who sees our struggles, our pain, our sorrow. We are not invisible or insignificant. He sees what we do. When we lived in Chad, I'll close with this story. We had an administrator. His name was Passeri. And we trained Passeri up as the local Chadian. He did a lot of our shopping for us. He knew how to barter. Do you know what what I mean by bartering? Nothing was fixed in price. You went to the marketplace and you would look at a sack of rice. And for me, being a white person, the price would be $10. But Passeri, a local person, well, he could get that $10 down to maybe $2. And so Passeri always went shopping for us. Even if we needed a small generator, light bulbs, we always sent Passeri. Anyway, we went back for a visit to Chad in 2009. And he was telling us the story of how he got of his marriage. He got married while we were away. And he said he went to the father of the, his wife-to-be to discuss the dowry. I don't know if you even understand the dowry price. But in Chad, the dowry is set in terms of cattle. So you would, I can't remember the price, but I, let's say it's 10 cows for the wife. Okay? I thought the pastor was going to tell me, well, I went to the father and I got that price down to three cows, a three-cow wife. But you know, he didn't. What did he, he told me, he said, I went to the father, and we started bargaining, and he said, I want ten cows for my daughter. And Pastor opened his mouth and said, I'll give you twenty. Unheard of. And he said, on top of that, I want to give you three hundred dollars. Now, that's a year saving, Pastoral only earned $30 per month. And I'm thinking, crazy, crazy. It's going to spend all this lifetime paying off all this cattle, this money. Well, after the wedding, how do you think his wife felt? Her eyes beamed. She no longer felt timid or shy, but she walked down the aisle confident. She no longer felt unworthy. 
no longer felt plain. Listen very carefully. God paid the highest price for you and for me. Not merely in cows, but in giving his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, who gave his all that we might live. He gave his all. He gave his life. And it's true, Christ asks some of us to lay down our lives. Others, he asks to give of our resources, of our time, of our energy, for the sake of his kingdom and for the advancement of it. Let's pray. And I'm going to invite the musicians just to come up and Sharon to lead us in a closing song in response. Father, all we have is yours. I can imagine the temptation of the widow to put in only one of those coins. That would have been 50%. But something inside her, inside her said, give it all. And Father, we do want to surrender all for the sake of your kingdom. We want to give you our hearts and all that is within. And we want to lay it down for the sake of you, my King. Amen. Church, let's um, rise. Um, we've heard the word of the Lord this morning and um, just want to spend some time in responding with this song. Um,
I trust that the Lord has spoken to our hearts. I feel this morning is a, it's a special morning that we can really surrender. By faith, you're not going to know how it's going to work out. And I want to encourage you to come to the altar call. We also do not know how it's going to work out for you. But if you would give sacrificially your all by faith, the Lord's going to work it out. So I'm just going to say a closing prayer. And for those of us who wish to have someone pray with us, perhaps your heart is struggling now. There is something in your heart that you are struggling over releasing to God. Today is the day. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us, Lord. That we can live by faith. We can give all. We can surrender all. And we know that you're not one who would shortchange us. Your will is to welcome us as the bride of Christ. You would give your all for us. You understand where we are. You know what is self-esteem. And you're there to give us that title of being sons and daughters of the living God. Cared for by God. Provided for by God. So therefore, we come to you with an honest heart that we don't know how to give. We are too scared to give you our all. But we do want to, and we can do so by faith. So thank you, Lord. Help us in this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.